Hello, and welcome to the Screen Podcast Series, a set of conversations about the state of the science on social screening in healthcare settings. This work was conducted by the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network, SIREN, at the University of California, San Francisco, and funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. All right, so welcome to the SIREN Screen Podcast Series. My name is Andy Quinones Rivera. I'm an emergency medicine resident at LA County and a happy SIREN collaborator. Today's podcast is one of five recorded conversations about the 2022 SIREN report titled State of the Science and Social Screening in Healthcare Settings. There's five sections of the report, one podcast to go along with each of them. The section we're going to be covering today is called Healthcare Providers' Perspectives on Social Screening which specifically reviews the literature on how providers view social needs interventions that are integrated into clinical settings. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Lowell Solomon to chat with us about the report. Lowell is a professor of health system science at the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and the former vice president of community health at Kaiser. Hello, Lowell. Hey, Andy, have fun. <laughs> so Lowell has agreed to be with us today, and he reviewed this section of the report. And today, Lowell's going to respond to some of the findings in the report and will share with us how some of the findings connect to the things happening in the field of social care practice. So without further ado, let's get started. So Lowell, let me start by asking, what were your initial reactions to the report? Anything surprising here? Well, I thought it was a great report, and I'm not sure that I was surprised by anything in the report as much as uh, appreciative of the synthesis um, uh, that that they did. Um, they synthesized a lot of literature in a very useful way, and it's a pretty substantial body of literature, so that's no mean feat. On the provider side of things, and I know we're going to be mostly talking about um, kind of the chapter four and the, the pro- provider reflections today. I thought the big takeaway was that um, providers, by and large, um, physicians, but also non-physician pro- providers, are are copacetic with screening. They found it within their scope of practice. Um, they uh, didn't have uh, lingering concerns about screening being inappropriate or harmful. Um, and related to that, um, there was, I thought, some very encouraging um, findings in, in the report that any concerns that providers had going into the introduction of screening in their healthcare setting were addressed through experience. So concerns they had going in, um, they didn't have coming out. And the concerns that uh, providers had going in were uh, you know, discomfort with screening in general. They were concerned that patients would be uh, uncomfortable. Um, they were concerned about not having enough time to uh, do the screening or talk about the screening um, and potential disruptions to workflow. And all those concerns, by and large, got addressed in the process of interacting with the screening. Um, So that was really good. There's one exception that I thought was really interesting, which is that uh, providers had a concern going in that they didn't have enough knowledge of the social service landscape or the resources uh, to make referrals or do something with uh, people who screen positive. And those concerns were not addressed by the screening intervention. So... um, I think that's a really big issue, um, and, uh, and and it raises a whole bunch of uh, concerns about uh, doing screening without having something on the back end uh, to do with that information. 
It sounds like from this report that after providers participate in, in these interventions, that their concerns about time, their concerns about impact on the patient-provider relationship, all those things got a little better once they saw what it was like. But it seems like this concern of, is what we're doing working? Is what we're doing actually impacting the patients in the way that we want them to be impacted? That's still a concern for them. So how do we reconcile this? How do we how do we bring this together with an emerging field? Do we need to be able to fix this concern for providers before we roll out more screening interventions? That would be nice. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't, I'm not, it? Wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure it's the kind of thing that can get fixed. I think it's the kind of thing that needs to be evolved over time. But the challenge of what to do with uh, patients that screen positive uh, you need to have an answer to that going in. We know that screening is necessary, but insufficient. It's a ticket to an integrated social care strategy, a social care intervention uh, in, in, in healthcare. And so I think there are these really important pregnant questions around what to do with patients that screen positive. Um, and I, I know that um, Siren and previous podcasts and, and the report um, actually references the National Academy of Medicine's um, five A's framework. And that framework describes a couple of very specific things that we can do with people that we need to do with, uh, with, with patients that screen positive. One is connect them to resources. Um, and the other is make adjustments to their plan of care to account for social risks that you uncover in a screen. A lot of healthcare organizations, Kaiser Permanente uh, among them, are investing heavily in the social prescribing, the, the uh, assistance aspect of that. And as kind of screening activities evolve, um, those are being paired with assistance interventions. Um, uh, but the thing that uh, I think needs more attention, um, where the field um, needs to evolve more is around the clinical adjustment side. And that's a place where um, I think we need to, to, to just really invest a lot more time, energy, and, 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 and focus. Um, so those are two actions, two sets of things that providers and their teams uh, need to be involved in that can answer the question, okay, what do I do with this information? And so I think what you're referencing here is you know, as we think about the role of the provider with regards to these interventions, there's sort of a choice. There's a palette of things that providers can choose from in terms of intervening. And maybe it's not necessarily their responsibility to figure out whether their referrals are working or not. I'm not sure if that's what you're sort of alluding to, or maybe the provider concerns can also be more focused on, okay, how do I adjust my clinical care to care about this positive screen that I just picked up? Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I guess I'm saying it's a yes and. Uh, I mean, I, my sense, um, not being a clinician myself, but um, uh, working with a lot of them, <laughs> Um, is that there is this tendency in practice today to say, oh, positive social screen, refer to social work. Mm. That's great. We need interdisciplinary teams with social workers and navigators and community health workers and all the rest that can uh, engage patients and make sure that they get connected to um, services uh, to address their unmet needs. 
but there is also an affirmative role for the clinician to take that information into account when planning care with their patients, um, adjusting the treatment plan, engaging with their patients in shared decision-making around um, what the implications of their social risks are for um, their ability to manage their disease. And that's the piece that I, you know, I, I feel like we haven't really wrestled with enough. Mm. So both and, and I, and I guess on the kind of assistant side of things, you know, we're talking about providers and provider accountability and all that. The other thing I want to say here is that there is also a very significant obligation, not on the provider doctors and interprofessional teams, but the systems that they practice in. It's the healthcare system that I feel is responsible for figuring out the you know, relationships with community-based organizations to receive the referrals, you know, the mm-hmm. integration into the electronic health record, all the clinical decision supports and tools uh, to make um, make the right thing easy to do and to lift the burden off an individual provider or a team to know what's out there and to make sure that patients get to the right place. That's a system responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. That might not be a surprising thing to expect to hear from a professor of health system science, but I I also happen to believe it's true. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things you're getting at here is, is that providers have this concern, right? And yet these interventions fall along a spectrum. And there's some things that providers can do, physicians or nurses or associated staff. And there's things that are up to the healthcare system itself. As we see from the study, there's some things like time pressures and value of the interventions and things like that, which seem to be ameliorated with the interventions. But whether these interventions work is still a concern. So it seems like what you're talking about here is essentially, okay, providers are concerned, but what's up to the healthcare system? What's up to the providers? And, you know, are you saying that providers shouldn't necessarily worry about this so much. They should sort of focus on what it is that they can do on a one-on-one interaction. Or are you also saying like, we need to get providers to engage a little bit more in health systems work to be able to address some of these concerns? Yeah. I mean, I think we all, all of us (laughs) need to lean in more Andy, you and I, over the many conversations that we've had, have, have talked about roles and responsibilities and accountability. And um, I, I guess at the you know ten thousand foot level, there is um, a, a huge, really interesting, and I think encouraging shift going on around what societal expectations are for the role of healthcare writ large mm-hmm. in addressing um, health-related social needs and social determinants of health. On top of that, those not being the same thing. Um, And the screen report actually starts off with this really interesting finding that uh, more than half of state Medicaid agencies are requiring Medicaid-managed care plans to address health-related social needs. So there's this change in societal expectations around health care as a sector needing to do more. The interesting question is, you know, what are the accountabilities of doctors, teams, healthcare systems, and the broader ecosystem for addressing the key activities that, for instance, the National Academy of Medicine report lays out, screening, assistance, adjustment, alignment, making sure that there's connections between healthcare organizations and social service organizations, and advocacy on on the upstream end of things. And I think 
um, our roles uh, or the roles of those different kind of players changes as you go from kind of one side of the spectrum to the other. And the interesting and important question to ask is for each kind of key activity that's required to have an integrated health and social care system is, you know, do I own this activity? Do I need to partner with others to uh, make sure that activity gets done? Or do I not really have an accountability for an outcome here, but is there an opportunity for me to advocate for champion some kind of change? And I think that's the rigor that we kind of need in thinking this stuff through. You know, what is the level of accountability for doctors, teams, healthcare systems, and and the broader ecosystem for each of these critical activities, including screening, but not limited to screening? Well, this is a perfect segue, Lowell, because one of your roles is to teach future doctors about this stuff. And you know a lot about this. How are you incorporating some of this into your education pieces? How do you think about the findings of this report influencing some of the things that you're trying to pass along to future doctors and future healthcare providers? Yeah, I come to this uh, with beginner's mind. Because firstly, to be honest, I am new to academic medicine. I spent most of my career in health policy and and then in, in healthcare actually designing and implementing you know, these interventions and and working on other things. So um, that's a great position to be in because I'm asking really like beginner level questions like what do students really need to know about the social determinants of health and why? Mm-hmm. And what do we expect them to do with that information and uh, and the rest? So I think one of the um, important things that we're doing and the KP School of Medicine is, is brand new. We don't even have, uh, have a full cohort of four years of medical students. We, we just brought in our third cohort last week. So we're trying to figure out kind of these basic questions like what are the core competencies uh, and skills that our medical students need to have under their belt around um, social needs interventions and uh, and social determinants of health on, on, on top of that. So one of the things that we're doing, we're, we're creating a selective for our, our, our third year students around social health practice and um, kind of trying to identify what specific uh, skills and competencies. So you have a specific charge, right? You have to teach medical students and future healthcare providers about social care practice. And this is a field that is evolving right now. It's being created right now. What guiding principles are you guys using to teach future doctors about this? I'm just curious. Yeah. So um, thank you for asking that. I think it's a two-part answer. One is that we're spending a lot of time um, in our core curriculum talking about the social determinants of health and the role of physicians as advocates in their extra clinical role um, as health system leaders, as uh, citizens, um, as change agents uh, to change the conditions of health that lead to health-related social needs. So there's a lot to do there. I think the more interesting curriculum that we're, we're building, and we're building it as we go, is what is um, their obligation um, and what's the skill set that they need to have as clinicians to provide high-quality, contextualized care? Mm-hmm. Um, Saul Wiener and Alan Schwartz and colleagues at University of Illinois 
uh, Chicago have done some great work on describing the set of doctoring skills around listening for contextualized cues in a doctor's encounter with their patients, listening for information about context that might be getting in the way of patients' health, adherence, and, and other things. Um, once they listen to those, uh, the once they pick up on those cues, probing more, uh, building the information from those probes into uh, the patient plan of care, um, a couple of other elements there. But um, that is like uh, some really good, juicy core um, doctoring um, uh, skills that we need to build into our core curriculum. And we're, and we're starting to do that. <laughs> um, so that's, that's one answer to the question. What are the skills that folks need at bedside is one sort of set of questions. But I think one of the things that this report gets at is that there's a lot more than just the skills at bedside, a lot more than the actual screening itself, right? One of the things that kind of impressed me about the findings is that across the board, physicians and providers seem to be uncomfortable with screening until they actually participated in the screening interventions, right? So that that tells us that education, yes, it's very, very powerful. And hearing from you, Lo, a little bit more about this selective that you guys are doing with med students is that you guys are not just focusing on that. You guys are also sort of acknowledging that folks that want to do this work and want to do this work well also have to pay attention to the things in the healthcare system and how to influence the healthcare system. That's fantastic because it also highlights that this is a multidisciplinary field, right? And that it's not just about the one-on-one provider-patient interaction, that it's also about how the healthcare system interacts with the provider and how the provider interacts with the healthcare system. And I think that's that's really interesting because at least for my part, that's not necessarily how I went through med school, not necessarily the things that I was taught during my training. Yeah. And, and, and somehow you managed to get all those really great system advocacy skills along the way, maybe, you know, accidentally, but uh, knowing you by design. But but yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. So I, I, I mentioned the kind of the, the doctoring skills, but the, the sister to those skills is the skills to um, understand, you know, who else you need around you in the interprofessional team and how to work with them. And then what you need to, you know, get out of the system and what the system needs to do to support your effectiveness as a frontline team and creating those change agency skills um, to be effective in getting those uh, those resources and supports and understanding what the what the environment is that you're operating in. Mm-hmm. And this I, one of the things that I'm excited about building into the selective is a parallel set of clinical skills and health system science skills. So, you know, we're going to work with with students to uh, know how to do a really great um, job screening for social needs, trying to do that sensitively in a way that addresses patients' concerns about sensitive information that doesn't stigmatize them in the process, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then we want to, you know, on the health system science side, you know, help them think through and understand how screening tools can be built into electronic health records and um, and then how screening data can be used at an aggregated level to identify, you know, 
gaps in social care capacity and you know what they can do to address those gaps as health system leaders. So it's tying tying it all together that I think is uh, really exciting and powerful. And uh, our students are are, uh, are are really ready to get going on that. Now that that sounds super fun. That sounds super super fun. And you know when I think about education interventions like that, and I think about this field as a whole, I really do think that some of the data that we're seeing and even cited in this report suggests that this stuff might be very good for healthcare providers. This report specifically included studies that found positive associations between a clinical site's ability to address social needs and a provider's job satisfaction. So the more capacity that a site had for addressing the patient's social needs, the higher the provider job satisfaction. And also the higher the provider's perception of the quality of care that they were giving. So I think as you have this important and joyous job of teaching the next generation of providers, I really do think that there's something here to consider in terms of this, these kinds of interventions, not just impacting patients, but also impacting our burnout and our joy in medicine. And I'm saying this as an emergency medicine provider also. I feel very invested in this as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you are kind of lifting this up. And, you know, it's it's a great bookend to this idea about all the concerns that, you know, providers have going into social needs screening um, and related activities. There's also this sense that there are conversations that providers know should be happening in the Mm -hmm. uh, context of an encounter around people's full life and all the things in life that get in the way of their health Um, and not just their health care, but their well-being overall. Rishi Manchanda, a a colleague of ours and and others talk about a lot. There's this moral hazard involved in not asking those questions. Um, And I remember very early on in KP's work, uh, Kaiser Permanente's work in this area, um, one of our first uh, pilot sites for social needs screening and 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 social prescribing intervention was in uh, Richmond, California, which is a low income community, lots of challenges and lots of assets, um, lots of unmet social needs. And I remember talking to um, a pediatrician um, that was in joyous tears <laughs> after uh, we implemented this, uh, this, uh, this this pilot. And what she said is that it weighed on me every time I had. Um, a conversation with with families that had unmet social needs. I didn't ask the questions that I knew I should have asked uh, because I didn't have a way to do anything with that. I was afraid of opening up a Pandora's box. And um, it's just such a relief to be able to do what I know I need to do. It allows me to be a better physician and a better healer. And it improves my relationship with my patients. And it's the way I want to practice medicine. And uh, I think there's that kind of joy factor and that professional satisfaction factor that you're describing, Andy, that I think we can really lift up with um, high quality uh, social needs interventions. One of the last questions that I'm going to ask you is just, what questions do you see arising from this report that you might be excited to see other researchers tackle? Um, Is there anything in this report that you're excited to see how other people tease out and what they make of it? So much, uh, so much here. Um, 
Well, a couple of parting shots. I mean, on on the screening front uh, specifically, uh, I think there are some really important questions around how to target screening efforts. Should they be universal? Should they be targeted? If they're targeted, should they be targeted on patients with really complex health or social needs? Or should they be targeted on uh, people that uh, have rising risk, pre-diabetes, for instance, um, conditions that if you intervene on them now, can you can really have a big effect on, on, on the longer-term health trajectory. So there's some really important research and implementation science to be done on um, how to target screening efforts. And then there's this question um, around, um, we talked about provider acceptability, but patient acceptability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was referenced in the report um, uh, to some extent, but you know, there's this huge fall off in patients that screen positive for a social need, uh, but decline assistance from their healthcare providers in addressing those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big part of the overall volume drop that makes these interventions less effective as they would be elsewise. Um, and so I think there's a lot of um, really good research to be done on what's behind that um, that acceptability challenge. How do we increase acceptability of social needs screening and assistance on, on the other end of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what can doctors do to mm-hmm. uh, destigmatize this, to help Patients understand that asking about your full life is uh, what good healthcare is about. It's not just about pills and surgery and you know procedures. It's also about supporting you to have the best life you can, and that includes addressing health-related social needs and other social challenges that get in the way of you living a full life. Yes, yes. So that's mm-hmm. that. I think that's really exciting and important territory. Yeah, there's so much to consider there, and. A lot to be excited about for the future, for sure. All right. Now, I think that's all the time we have. Lowell, thank you so much for being here with us today and grounding us here. This has been fantastic. It's been fun, Andy. Thanks so much for uh, for doing it with me. And let's uh, keep the good work going. For sure. Now, just make sure to check out the other podcasts in this series on the other sections of the report. They're all on the Siren website. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this special summer screen break episode of Siren Coffee and Science, a project of the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at UCSF. Andrew Fankush does our editing and sound design, Susan Shepard designed our cover art, and Aurélien Jukla composed our music. Laura Gottlieb and Yuri Cartier, that's me, produced this limited podcast series. Find out more by visiting sirenetwork.ucsf.edu. Questions or comments? Email us at siren at ucsf.edu. And lastly, let it be known that the views and opinions of the participants on this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the regents of the University of California, UCSF, UCSF Medical Center, or any entities or units thereof. Take care.